Hi, I'm Anthony, the host of my PhD Experience Podcast, a show that brings to you interesting insights about how to navigate graduate school, bag your PhD, and secure a postdoctoral position. With me today is my very good friend, Melissa Omino. Dr. Melissa bagged a PhD in South Africa, where we met, and she is interested in intellectual property. In her free time, Melissa hosts a podcast. A podcast show is called Scribble Podcast. You can find her podcast on Twitter and Instagram using at podcast underscore semi. Our Twitter handle is at IP check in thank you for joining me today can you please tell us a little bit about yourself okay thank you so much for uh, inviting me to be a guest on your podcast tony i'm really honored um what can i say about myself i am melissa omino dr melissa omino i am a researcher my area of specialization is law particularly intellectual property uh, I'm a young woman living and working in Nairobi, and yeah, that's basically who, who I am. <laughs> yeah, thank you for introducing yourself. You know, like I said previously, today we'll be discussing about P- my PhD experience, and uh, you will be talking to us about your PhD experience today. So let me ask you, what made you decide to pursue a PhD degree? Is it your personal ambition or is it an expectation of big income afterwards? What made you decide to pursue a PhD degree? <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome question. Um, actually, um, how, I, how I came about studying for my PhD is very interesting. It wasn't a decision that I made and I'm sure people will be like, what? Um, it's a decision my parents made for me. <laughs> my parents told me that I would get a doctorate and that I would be a PhD holder. And I argued a little bit with them about it because before I pursued my PhD, I had just been admitted to the bar and I was working as an advocate of the high court here in Nairobi. Um, and then I just said, you know what, let me, let me just go and, and try it. Let me see if I can actually pursue a PhD degree, if I can get it. And I had an area that I was interested in pursuing um, so that's how I came about the decision of studying um, a, the PhD or my doctorate. We call it a doctorate in law. Wow, interesting. I mean, this is quite interesting. So in a way, <laughs> in a way, why fulfilling, you know, an, a big ambition? You're also, you know, you're also making your mom and dad proud. Interesting. So once you decided to do the PhD, tell me, how did you go about deciding the university to do the PhD and deciding the supervisor to work with? Now, this is a very good question as well. I, at first, I, I applied to two different universities before I finally landed um, in the university that I obtained my doctorate from. The first university I applied because my younger brother was just going to start his bachelor's degree. And, um, of course, it was like, I will go with him so that I will guide him (laughs) 
through his bachelor's degree while I was doing my doctorate, but I could not find a supervisor in that particular university. So they told me that they would take me, but they didn't have a, a suitable supervisor for the topic that I wanted to do my doctorate in. So after that, a I sort of half-heartedly applied to a second university. I wasn't really serious about it. But in the process of looking for referees, because in your PhD application, you need to have referees, right, who, who speak about academic, just like a job application. So one of my, my referees actually ended up being my supervisor, and that's how I ended up in the university, <laughs> my doctorate. Yeah, that's how I ended up there. But it was my, it, I had been at the university before because that's where I had, I had uh, obtained my, my bachelor in law. So that's how I ended up there. It wasn't, my, it wasn't really in my mind to go back there, but that's how life happens when you're looking towards studying for your doctorate. It doesn't happen in a linear way. Things just drop in, in between and everything fits in together. Interesting. I mean... I mean, it's always the story for people. Things, you can plan things so smoothly and then life just takes a different turn and, and you find yourself. But it, it all worked out very well for you because now you are Dr. Melissa. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it truly worked out, you know, very well. So what advice would you give anyone planning to pursue a PhD in terms of deciding the university and a supervisor? I would tell them not to do what I did. I tell them to be more intentional uh, than I was. You need to do a lot of research. And I discovered this after, the, after I was in my doctorate program. I was very lucky because in my university, they offered bursaries. So I didn't have to pay school fees other than the registration fee. Um, for pursuing. So that's one thing I would urge them to look for. Look for if you can get financial support from the university that you are studying in. Number two, look for a supervisor who is interested in the topic that you are pursuing or you want to pursue. So people normally say that would be obvious, but it's not. Uh, depending on the university that you apply to or the, or the department that you're applying to within the university, they have different procedures. Some demand that you have a supervisor in mind before you start. Some will have you start with comprehensive exams before you actually get a supervisor, but you need to have the supervisor in mind because a doctorate is very difficult. You need to make sure that you, ha you have a good relationship with your supervisor. So you need to be more intentional about it. Research them, research what area they're interested in, um, research, ask or speak to people who have graduated from that supervisor just so that you have a good idea whether you're a good fit or not. Yeah, that's what I'd, I'd advise somebody who's, who's going to pursue a doctorate. So, so in summary, you have to be intentional. You have to do some research, perhaps even, you know, talking to previous students. And um, you have to just be deliberate and, and, and think about funding and all that. I mean, thank you. Thank you for, for that good advice. So... I would like you to tell me your PhD experience. You know, people say PhD experience could be very lonely and boring. What was your experience? What was your PhD experience like? Well, uh, I can say it had phases. My, my experience had phases. The first year was very, very lonely because I was going through so many things in that first year. I was 
battling with imposter syndrome. You know, once you are in the degree or in the program, you ask yourself, can I really do this? Will I really write a, a doctoral thesis? You also are benchmarking yourself with other people who have started and other people who are finishing. So you are, you're just in, you are a nervous person in your first year. So the first year can be very lonely as you're trying to map up your, your way through the, the degree. Because um, that's when you finally plan everything out. But through that process, I met other students, some who are more advanced, others who are, who are just starting like me. And you start the journey together. So your second year, third year, or fourth year, depending on how long your doctorate degree is, it gets better. Um, I think I had a year, which I call my last year, and that was my second year of my doctorate, because I told myself, all of a sudden, I was taken up by this feeling that I should attend conferences and I should be presenting papers. So that year, I literally dedicated it to looking for conferences that I could attend and present. And my thesis suffered a little bit in that year. So, and I was trying to be a little bit more social because I was, I was being told that I need to balance, you know, you need to have a work-life balance. So my second year of the doctorate was a lost year, but I definitely, it definitely helped me because I got everything out of my system. <laughs> so that in the third year, I really smashed through my thesis and I was ready to graduate by that December. You should also think of it not just about research, not about the education part of it, look at the next that you're making. And I wish I had been more intentional with that part because pursuing a doctorate is almost like having a job. You need to network with people within your area for the future. Look, look at yourself as already having the doctorate degree and think what you want to do with it. So that, that was my experience of it. Um, it was very, very stressful. I, things happen to people, different things happen to people. I lost a lot of weight during my PhD experience <laughs> because of this. Um, and also because of, you know, you need to do something to balance you. So I started exercising and, and things like that to sort of balance myself. So you need to be really mentally prepared and don't be too hard on yourself and try to network to make friends. It's, it really is what, what you want to make it. And depending on where you, you go to, also travel. If you're in a different country doing your doctorate, make time to you know, travel. That's a good downtime. It, it helps refresh your mind so that you can come back and work properly. So I did a, a little bit of traveling. Um, yeah, it's, it's like it's four years. You can't just sit and look at books all through the four years. You need to be a whole person and you need to have evolved as a person during that that experience wow so in a way i can describe your phd experience as very interesting i mean it's like you had a total experience of phd not only doing research studying writing papers but again you need to live your life and 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 make friends and connect and network which is actually quite interesting i mean i think it's an important advice for aspiring phd students or for people currently doing PhD, I think. Um, yes. I think. I think. In addition to that, people people may think that. So, how do I go about getting my first uh, travel experience? I mean, people love to travel, but then we also don't know how to go about it. So, how should they 
plan their travel? Where are they going to raise money to travel? Do you have any advice in, in relation to all that, getting to travel, where to secure funds from? Um, well, that's also part of the, the doctor's experience. Um, you might be approached or depending on, on the university or the program that you're in to teach. So you could end up teaching part-time. I didn't really teach part-time. I was um, what you call an assistant to, to some of the lecturers in the department. So I would help them invigilate exams. I would help with uh, oh, I did. I actually did help with a little bit of teaching, but not much. I think only for one semester. I remember marking scripts. That was the hardest thing I ever did. And I was like, this is why I don't want to be a lecturer. The admin side is a lot. There were so many scripts to mark and then to, uh, to make sure that you've put in their marks correctly because you, you don't want people to fail. You know, it was very stressful. But that's an example of what you can do. You can get some work, which will help you get some money. Um, but when I say travel, you don't have to fly fast class. You don't even have to fly. You can take a bus. You can take a train. You plan your travel according to what your pocket can allow. There are people who, who do backpacking experiences. I did that, but that was during my master's. I did not like it. <laughs> I would not do it again. Um, <laughs> so, but but it's, a, it's an experience. You have to first experience it before you, you decide whether you like it or not. So travel doesn't have to be expensive it can be something that fits your pocket and how to do that is plan plan in advance think of where you want to go research um, places that you can afford to go to and also now now that i think of it i'm thinking of myself traveling and when traveling there was no corona (laughs) (laughs) you remember this there was no corona when we were doing our doctorate so it was much easier um now it's a little bit more complicated but that means you have to do a little bit more planning and more research um, around how to travel. Yeah, you know, let me just, you know, add, add this quick question. You know, some people may think about um, backpack experience. You know, could you explain that a little bit? What, what, really, what it means? Okay, um, backpacking is, is named after this bag. <laughs> I'm sure people in these... Usually they are uh, white foreign, you know, tourists, huge bags on their back where they're just moving from country to country. Um, That is the extreme side of backpacking. What I mean is, um, especially in South Africa, which is where I studied, you'd find very cheap accommodation like uh, hostels or motels and actually some particular accommodations called backpackers because they're very simple places for usually young students because we are the ones who don't have money <laughs> to travel well. So you go there, you just pay for literally a bed. It's almost like a dormitory. So you pay for a bed and you spend most of your day just moving around that particular town. So I did that in my master's for two reasons. One, um, when I arrived uh, in Stellenbosch, where I was going to go for my master's, the my accommodation was not ready so they put me in a backpackers for one night and i and i remember it was not a good experience i did not sleep inside the bed i slept on top of the bed with all my clothes on and holding all my bags but there were other people who were there who had who had done that had been doing that um people from germany from italy who had who who just traveled the world very cheaply 
because they don't have to spend money on accommodation. So it's very cheap accommodation. Also, a different type of backpacking experience is where you sleep in tents. So you could go, for example, to Kruger National Park, or you can go to um, Naivasha here in, in Kenya. You go to Naivasha, you, get a, you pay for a tent, which is very cheap, and you sleep, you roll out your sleeping bag, sleep there. But during the day, you're enjoying, you know, Lake Naivasha, you're enjoying Nakuru, you're enjoying uh, Kruger Park. So you save a lot in terms of accommodation, which, which allows you to spend more in transport and other things. Yeah, that, that, that's quite interesting. I had my own experience in, uh, I think in Netherlands, yeah, you know, I, I, in 2018. My trip was sponsored, only that I needed to pay for the accommodation by myself. So the flight tickets mm-hmm. was paid for, the, the conference registration was paid for, everything, but then I needed to feed myself as well as pay for my accommodation. And I looked at the price for hotels per night and it was around $250. And for a PhD student, lots of money. So I said, okay, let me look for backpackers. And, um, and I found one for 25 euros per night, or maybe 25 euros or 30 euros per night. And and I can imagine. Yeah, very cheap. I mean, you can see the difference between two hundred and fifty compared to twenty-five or thirty. You know, and again, and it was my first experience. So I got to the hotel, and and I was checked into my room, and I saw twelve bunks. I mean, literally <laughs> twelve. <laughs> It was like a dormitory in secondary yeah, school. It was, it was it, because I, I was a boarding school student in my high school. I mean, my experience at boarding school was even a little bit better because this room was very small, yet there are about, I think about, I don't know, maybe not up to 12 bunks, there are about seven bunks, and we were 14 in the room, including male and female, you know? We were Ooh, 14 wow. in the room, 14. In, in, the, in a very small room. And, you know, you have to just put your pins under the bunk, like, you know, like it was back in the days in, yeah. in secondary school and, and all that. You know, I, I found it quite difficult to sleep on the first night. And, um, and I think yeah. the second or the third night, you know, you know, I got used to it, sort of. <laughs> Would I do it again? <laughs> Maybe not, but I think no. it's <laughs> I think it's an experience everyone deserves to have on your record. Try at least one. Just try it, even if it's one time. Yeah. Um, anyway, so th- th- those are the ways to travel while doing PhD. The pr- travel should not necessarily or hundred percent be conference related because, again, you know, some people may be thinking about uh, conference travel. Why conference travel is good? You also need to travel. I mean, just travel to to know the country travel to know the city, travel to, to have a full experience of your PhD, especially if you are doing your PhD even outside your country, um, the more the reason you need to explore the new country you find yourself. So uh, that's probably an important um, advice on the list. Now, this is another very important question because for every PhD student, they worry so much about writing. How do I write a PhD thesis? Where do I even start from? So any advice, any, what was your experience and any advice for prospective students? Um, let me say this. 
writing even right now for me as somebody who has had my my doctorate for what for three years now i still find writing as a very very difficult <laughs> a very difficult thing to do and that's it's quite normal uh for that to be the case um what i would say is just start because people procrastinate a lot about writing you'll think and try and you know have grandiose ideas about what your writing should be just start because the writing is not in in the first draft the writing is in the revision so the more you revise your paper the better it it becomes and you cannot revise unless you've started writing for for my cohort or my year when we enrolled for our doctorate degrees we were lucky because the university had a program where we we actually sat down with a a scholar i think he was from netherlands and he took us through the art of writing or academic writing and it was quite it was really a good experience i think one of the main lessons that i learned there is break down the elephant so don't look at it as this huge task break it down start with with what you're comfortable with and that way you you accomplish small tasks which make a bigger whole that's what i'd say about writing and i need to take some of my own advice <laughs> is what i'd also say but never be deterred from writing because you feel like you you wouldn't do you wouldn't write as well as you know a mentor in your field or a, a scholar who you follow they all started somewhere and the beauty of their work comes in revision in the editing not not in the first draft so write get the first draft out and then revise yeah you know i read um, this new york times retired new york times journalist uh who had written uh, over 500 um, columns or editorial and and the and what the advice he actually gave was what we just alluded to that the best um, write ups or the best best articles are the most edited ones so meaning it takes time to actually get a masterpiece so you can't get a masterpiece by but in the first draft so it's important that you put in a lot of work in in terms of editing so you just write just write i probably had to that to say you also need to do a lot of reading as well because sometimes you might um, yes. you might have an empty brain <laughs> so to say you just don't know what to write about <laughs> even though you think, oh just write the problem is what do i write so <laughs> you know, do a lot of reading That's true. And, and then write uh, and then you can just yes. write. and 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 because with academic writing we don't just you know write from our heads we have to have sources of the um, of the topics that we are writing about and then we contribute a little bit of our own originality to what other people have done so you must read definitely it's the unspoken first step if you haven't read how would you even feel like you to write <laughs> yeah. so you reading has to come automatically great now i would like to talk a little bit about funding i know that you've touched on it a little briefly but i do know that without without funding it's very difficult if not impossible for many students to to navigate their phd so could you expand it a little bit more on how to secure funding 
Let me rephrase the question. You said, you know, one should do research to find out whether the school would fund the students. How do you, how do you go about that step? Well, um, the first part of call is obviously the department that you want to uh, apply or join, and you find out if there if there are um, bursaries or scholarships available. Um, I know, for example, I can speak about South Africa because that's where I, I obtained my doctorate from. In South Africa, there, there usually is funding available for doctoral students because they encourage people to enroll for their doctorate. So you will find that you might get partial or full funding. And when I say that, I mean in terms of your fees. Um, beyond that, as a student, you also have accommodation needs, you have travel needs, you have to eat. <laughs> um, so you might need to look now for other scholarships that would cover these other expenses. And the best way to go about this is Google. Yes, Google is your friend. Set up Google Alerts to look for scholarships, to look for funding opportunities that are specific in your area or your field. These happen throughout the year, different times of the year. So you need to be a little bit more intentional. Yes, that word again, in terms of keeping your eye out for these things. Um, I know people who, but not necessarily for their doctorate, but for their masters. I know people who got road scholarships, for example, that cover more than just tuition, that cover accommodation as well. So I would say first start with university, then look around in terms of uh, your field of study and see what would be available in that particular country that you're in. The international office is also a good place. The inter international office of the university that you are going to attend to will also direct you if it's a good international office. They should be able to direct you to scholarship opportunities, your government, some governments sponsor people to go abroad and study and come back or to study within the country. So you, the opportunities are out there. You have to just look for them. Hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's it. That's how to go about it. Probably may do a, an episode on funding in the future, but we will leave that out there. This brings us to the end of the part one of the interview with Melissa. Stay tuned for part two next week. Thank you for listening and please share with your friends.